Welcome to the Trevor Turnbull Show, where you'll hear vulnerable, honest stories that will inspire you to embrace your mess and live your best life. everyone. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Brian Panuzzo. So Brian and I got connected through a mutual friend, somebody that I was hockey buddies with like 20 years ago. And that friend and, and I had a conversation around a podcast that I had released recently that really spoke to him. And it was a great way for us to actually reconnect, which is just, again, another testament to the power of just speaking your truth and, and sharing your thoughts and, and allowing the world to just consume it and, you know, having it resonate one person at a time. Sometimes we don't get that feedback loop, but it's really nice to, to get it, right? As humans, we are creatures of wanting the acknowledgments. And uh, anyways, I spoke with that friend and in that conversation, he says, have you met my friend Brian yet? And I was like, no, I haven't. And I went and looked up Brian and after he made the introduction and I saw who he was or how he was presenting himself publicly as a men's coach, as somebody that uh, supports people, uh, men in particular, uh, that are hitting a point in their life where something's not working, whether it's their health's breaking down, their relationship's breaking down, uh, their fitness is not where they want it to be, or all the above and everything in between, uh, their finances, you name it. And I just really like the approach of how he was communicating into the world, not only in being the example that he was setting as a coach of the people that he works with, but also as a dad and how he's taking personal responsibility of being the example for his kids so that they become free thinkers and that he supports them in a way that is through his example, not by what he's saying to them, by what he's actually doing. And I knew that I wanted to have him on the podcast because the first chat that we had was just a, gr a great connection. You know, when you meet people and you just kind of think, man, I could hang out with this guy, I feel like we have parallel lives in some way, shape, and form, you know, having an athletic career that transitioned into a work career that's hit a breakdown and then a shift and then a sense of personal responsibility kicking in and and then the beliefs, the intentions, the behaviors, the habits change to become ways of being. And I just know that personally, in the world that we live in here today, there's so much outside noise, not only from the social side of things, but also the media and just the fear and the hate and the division and the war that we're seeing that we need more Brian's in this world. And we need more people stepping up to be examples for their family, to be the greatest versions of themselves, whether it's to make sure that they are in the best shape of their lives. So when they are older, they can enjoy their life. They can enjoy their grandkids and to think about it from a compounding interest perspective and an, an inflation perspective. So Brian's got a background in uh, the financial world. So he uses this terminology a lot, but it really does land, especially when you think of the compounding effect of money. We all kind of know what that means. But what about the compounding effect of having a beer, having six beers, having a dozen beers on a weekend, but then also being kind to yourself to say, if you drink a beer, you're not an evil person. It's just moderation. and. How do you instill the mindset and the tools and get the right guidance and surround yourself with the right people to make sure that you can be that greatest version of yourself so that you can enjoy life now and in the future for yourself, for your kids' sake, and quite frankly, for everybody around you as well. So I hope you enjoy this one. Let's go ahead and give it a listen.
All right, Brian Panuzo. So good to see you again here, my friend. I know we've only chatted once, but really enjoyed the conversation. I'm looking forward to this one as well. What's up, buddy? I really appreciate you having me, man. It's good to be here. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, you know, we were just bantering a bit before we flipped the switch and saying there's a lot that's even gone on in the world. You know, we're obviously in different parts of the world. You're down in California. I'm up in British Columbia and Canada, but there's still some universal truths of just being men and dads and, you know, parent or, you know, husbands and everything else in this world. And I know I initially got introduced to you by a, a mutual friend, Tyler McKenna, who I saw you actually just published your, your interview with him on your podcast, which was cool to see. Yeah. And I have to go ch- check that one out later. Uh, but it was just kind of one of those introductions, right? He's like, do you know Brian? I was like, I don't think I know Brian. You guys got to connect. And sure enough, you know, you kind of got to just follow your gut on those ones. And it was a good, good first chat. So awesome. yeah. Yeah, as well. As well. I'm looking forward to digging in a little bit with you. There's a lot, lot lots to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's maybe start off by just introducing you to everybody here. So I'm not going to read off a bio or anything. I, I have the, the basics here from like your LinkedIn profile and that type of thing, but maybe just let everybody know who you are, where you're located, you know, what's your mission of what you're trying to do here right now in this world. Absolutely. Uh, my name is Brian Panuzzo. I'm a 44 year old husband, father of two. I have two young kids, a 12-year-old boy named Hudson, a seven-year-old girl named Mila. I am currently sitting uh, in a town called Palos Verdes, California, which is a suburb of Los Angeles. Um, I spent most of my life uh, growing up and living in New Jersey, just outside of New York City. We moved here about two and a half years ago. Uh, I was your prototypical uh, Jersey guy. A uh, tough guy. I was an athlete. I played <laughs> basketball uh, all my life in college, high school and college. Um, I went right onto a trading desk in uh, on Wall Street right after I graduated uh, and jumped right into uh, that typical Wall Street lifestyle that you, not as cool as that you see on TV. Uh, my <laughs> wife always asks me, like, whenever we watch a, a Wall Street movie, she's like, is that what you did? And I'm like, nah, I wish. <laughs> That's Hollywood. Not exactly. What it was like, but uh, you know, pretty pretty typical type of lifestyle. I um, I was out two to three nights a week. Uh, I made good money. I spent a lot of money. Um, I had very uh, recreational, but you know, just borderline on professional um, addictions and vices: gambling, drugs, alcohol. Did it all. Dabbled in it all. Uh, never quite got to a point where. Uh, it was a problem, meaning uh, out to the public, to 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 everybody else except me. Mm. Um, I always showed up for work. I never lost enough money to have to fess up to my wife that we had to move money out of different accounts. There was always sort of enough coming in and enough going out. Um, you know, I had a half a bottle of wine or a bottle of wine on a two, on a tough Tuesday night. I ate a Percocet. I had a gummy. You know, uh, I always showed up for work. I, I never. You know, my friends from high school sort of jokingly would say um, there was this like front, you know, that I had and no one really knew that I was like a different guy than I projected. Um, we didn't have a white picket fence, but I had all the other boxes checked of sort of the American dream, lived in a big house, was a member at a country club, um, you know, to a beautiful wife, two great kids. My marriage was good enough. It wasn't great. And um uh, a series of events in my life happened uh, just about seven years or so ago now 
um, where it caused me to sort of take real stock of what was going on and, and wondering and, and had me wondering whether or not, you know, what was that? What, like, what was it worth it? Was it all worth it with what I was mm. doing? Mm-hmm. Um, my mom unfortunately got sick and passed away of a neurological disease. Her last eight months or so, uh, were pretty traumatic in terms of like watching her, um, you know, really start to decline. And I lived, you know, that life that I described to you just before I basically lived that life on steroids. Everything was amplified, the alcohol, the drugs, the everything. Um, shortly after my mom passed away, I, uh, my wife came to me sort of with a, with an ultimatum, you know, she had known what I was doing. She didn't really love it. She sort of tolerated it and she had had enough of it. And she said, you know, if we didn't have two young kids, I'm not going anywhere right now, but if we didn't have two young kids, I'm not sure I'd be here. And so this isn't what I want. This isn't the marriage that I want. This isn't the connection and the relationship that I want. And that was the real, I mean, obviously my mom, um, passing away was terrible and, and, and tragic, but that was the real you know, slap in the face for me. And then the other moment during that time period was my son who was five at the time, he was really into Legos and he liked to, to ask me to get down on the ground and help him put some, you know, some of them together. And, um, I realized one day I couldn't get down and kneel down on the ground with him. My knees were too kind of, you know, banged up. My body hurt too much. And so I had to sit on the couch and I flashed immediately to like, you know, this is the life I've created for myself. I had told myself this story for so long. I'm a big guy. I'm six, six, you know, ex basketball player. You, you see, you see athletes on TV and you know, they, you know, they're, they're limping. They're, they're, they're overweight. Their, their bodies are broken down. I had sort of told myself this story that, you know, this was my destiny. And, um, in that series of moments, I realized that I had to do something about my life because it was on the brink of sort of collapsing and nobody knew about it. Absolutely no one knew about it. Um, on the surface, I appeared to be super successful. I appeared to have a great relationship. I appeared to be in reasonable enough shape. I wasn't 50 pounds overweight. I actually hadn't even gained any weight from college. I just sort of redistributed body comp. And, uh, <laughs> and like, so yeah, I tricked myself. I like, yeah, I tricked myself into thinking that like, you know, it's okay. You know, what, the one thing I, I say a lot, Trevor, is like, I had this body of evidence to actually support that what I was doing was working in a lot of different ways. You know, I was wealthy. I, I had things going on in my, my life. I wasn't in a ditch. You know, I wasn't in a ditch in some respects. I feel like it would have been a more powerful moment, impactful moment. Clearly. I hope that I would have never hurt anyone, hurt myself, done anything really dramatic, but like, I hoped I should, you know, what if I got a DUI, you know, at age 32, what if I ended up in the hospital for some reason or something at age 28? You know, like, would that have been the moment, you know, that then caused me to wait until I was 36 or 37 years old to actually make some significant changes in my life? And so, you know, I, I started to think about like, there was a huge cost that I was paying that I wasn't really aware of, um, and began to make a ton of changes in my life. I'll speed the story up because it's a pretty, it's a long one. Um, no, it's good. I think a lot of people will be able to relate to it, including myself. So take your time, man. Like seriously, this is the whole point of why I do these interviews is to allow other people to see themselves and the people that are telling their stories as well. So yeah, take your time. Yeah. So I, I, I made a bunch of changes. You know, I started with my health, I started to lose weight. I thought if I looked better my wife would love me more. Um, she really just wanted me to show up as the man she knew I could be. Um, she appreciates me looking better. 
but she certainly wasn't demanding that she was demanding that I show up and be the person that she you know, thought she was getting into a relationship with. As I started to do that, I started to find some of these other things that come along with better health and wellness and making promises to yourself. I found, you know, personal development. I found people who were, you know, into mindset and things like that. And those were foreign, foreign concepts to a alpha Wall Street Jersey guy athlete yeah. like me. You couldn't yeah. tell me nothing uh, throughout my first 15 years of my career, you know, my 20s into my mid 30s. And as I started to make changes, as I started to keep commitments to myself, I started to treat myself with more respect, treat myself with more respect. I started to treat my wife wife with more respect. I started to keep commitments that I would just, these little lies that we tell ourselves, you know, or that we tell our wives, I'll be home around 8.30 after work drinks. I came home at 10. She, she never said anything, but, you know, what I did was I went and I met buddies for an hour and a half or two hours for drinks afterwards. I started to do things um, with more integrity. I started to align my actions with my words. That's some place, one place that I feel like a lot of men oftentimes, you know, miss the mark on. We say these things that we need to do, that we want to do, and ultimately we don't do them, you know, and we break these promises to ourselves, and it becomes okay to do that over and over and over again. And so, um, as I started to do that, I started to find new passions. I, I, I like to say I sort of substituted vices. I'm still, you know, an addict in a lot of different ways. And, <laughs> that's um, a good way to put it. I, I think you know, of it in a very similar way, just yeah, better addictions. That's right. And so I, uh, you know, I swapped research reports that I would bring home for nutrition podcasts. Cause I found this passion for health and wellness. I started to understand a lot of the lifestyle connections between, um, neurological diseases, which what my mom passed away from and your overall health. And so I started to connect those dots a lot and, uh, got into a lot better shape, started to find personal growth and development. Never knew what a belief system was before I started reading some stuff. Uh, really started to make a lot of physical and mental transformations, um, which ultimately led to me questioning whether I was doing something that I really should be doing for a career. Um, I kind of found myself in a position where I had made a decision at 17 years old to become a business and economics major in college. And because the older guys on the basketball team were all business and economics majors. And then in the summers, because I lived in New Jersey, a suburb of New York City, everybody got uh, internships. You know, we played in some, we played summer league basketball and we worked on inter at internships on wall street. And I went into that profession. Like I, I flash back to like that decision at 17 years old, sort of shaped the next 23 years of my life and how many people ultimately can look back and say, you know, yeah, they were making a true career decision at 17. Like we don't know, we don't know what we're doing, you know, for lunch when we're 17, you know, in the morning. So um, that, that was a tough one for me to, to sort of sift through and, and, and start to accept that, like, if I'm not a wall street guy, what am I? I asked myself that question, you know, for probably every day for three years straight. Um, if I'm not this, what am I, if I'm not a bond, if I'm not a high yield bond trader, you know, what am I, who am I? Um, and, uh, joined a, a, a men's group four years ago. Uh, it was primarily fitness related guys. And, um, realized that I started to have a little bit more in common with them than I did the wall street guys that I hung out with. 
and had a lot of the same passions that they did. And the guy who ran the group uh, challenged me to start a little side hustle. He said, if you you know weren't doing this and you had enough money, but you needed to do something three to four hours a day, what would you do? And I didn't know the answer to that. Uh, but then about 10 seconds in, it hit me. I said, you know, I made this big transformation as you know about, and people sort of ask you about it and then ask you for help. Cause that's the evolution. They go from making fun of you to then asking you for help. And, um, I've enjoyed helping people. I've enjoyed helping some of my friends, some of my family. And, um, he said, okay, cool. You should, uh, you should look into that. And, um, I said, okay. And a week later on a group call, he was going down the line and he checked in and he said, Brian, what's going on with the side hustle that, you know, you started. I go, what are you, what are you talking about, bro? You know? And, uh, he said the thing, the side hustle. And I was like, Oh, you were serious. He's like, yeah, I was serious. Um, and, and I wasn't going to be embarrassed like that again. And so I, I decided that, um, I was going to ask 10 friends if they would be willing to let me coach them. I didn't know what the curriculum would be. I just knew that I could help them. And, you know, I thought zero were going to say yes. I thought I was going to get laughed at and seven said yes. And that was the start. That was the birth of my um, health coaching business. I'm a men's coach. I coach men whose career success has cost them some things. I'm a big believer in a lot of financial concepts that relate to our lives. You know, compound interest is a big uh, foundational pillar for me or little decisions. You said that last time that really stuck out when you said that to me. Yeah. The other thing is inflation. You know, inflation is a a phenomenon we're all experiencing right now, right? No matter where you live, we're experiencing inflation. The decisions that you make today or don't make today will 100% cost you more into the future. You know, don't want to deal with your health right now. Your medical bills are going to be a lot, you know, uh, more expensive 20 years from now. Don't want to fix your marriage right now. Divorce costs a shit ton of money more. So (laughs) I started to think about, you know, these types of things. And so those are the type of people, you know, that I work with. I jokingly say, you know, I work with me seven years ago, career driven, financially successful, professionally successful, but absolutely effed up in every other area. (laughs) Uh, And that's the long, that's the long winded spiel, my man. Let me know what else I can no, it's good. That's why I was glad you just kept going on that. Cause I don't know if you noticed, but I was taking some notes along the way. Cause like, I don't, I prepare in advance for these calls. Of course I do some research and I dig in and I find some things that we may be able to go on some, you know, rad, go down some rabbit holes on, but the conversation flows when you say stuff out loud. And then I make my notes of like, Oh yeah, I can relate to that. Oh, what does he mean by that? Exactly. So you did exactly what I was hoping uh, there. And I'll just bring up a few of those and we'll maybe dance in some of those conversations. But these posters that I have on the wall that say, be grateful, be curious, be brave. I had them uh, created as like a foundational values um, statement for the podcast, like what I'm actually trying to do here. And then ultimately what I'm trying to instill in my kids. But you just reminded me of the other reason though, too, is that if I want to create influence and I want to actually create the world that I want my kids to grow up in and then actually see my kids become the happiest versions of themselves and most fulfilled. I need to be the example. I can't tell them what to do. And at the same time, I, I get to embrace every little mess, messy part of the journey along the way too, knowing that it got me to here. But the one thing that I'll maybe have you pick up on is Joe Dispenza talks about the idea. Are you familiar with Joe Dispenza? 
Yeah, so he talks about the idea of like, you know, we can create change in a state of pain and anguish and suffering, or we can do it in a state of like bliss and happiness. As human beings, the flawed creatures that we are, we usually do it in a state of pain, right? We do it in like something happens and then we make a shift. So from what I understand, like you're working a lot with maybe men or that are at that point where they've maybe already had that pain point or, or maybe clarify that for people too. Do you find that you can even work with the people that were you in your mid twenties or are they just not ready to even hear it? What, what's your experience with that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, my, my experience is that it, that, that pain is not great enough. Um, it's not my phrase and it's not, it's not Joe Dispenza and he's phenomenal, but it's, it's along the lines uh, of that. Uh, and I'll paraphrase it just in case I kind of screwed up. It's, you know, in order for meaningful change to occur in your life, the, the, the perception or the anxiety of future uh, change, right? The pain that that's going to cause you to have to change routines, do something different. The current state of pain that you're in has to be greater than that future state of expected, you know, pain, anxiety, and things like that. And so I find that the person that comes to me, the man that comes to me has tried to do it a certain way, has failed a number of times has realized that, you know, they do have a bunch of good things going on in their life, but it's close to like kind of burning down to the ground a bit. And if they, they, they at some point sort of do the math and forward look and say, if I stay on this path for one year, three, two years, five years, whatever, um, I'm not going to like what is, you know, on my plate. And so, no, I, I don't ever really get many you know, 25 year old versions of me. Um, usually, you know, it's, it, it's a pretty, it's a pretty narrow niche, uh, which makes the marketing really easy and the messaging and the content really easy. You know, I talk to, you know, I talk to me, I talked to me either seven years ago, or I talked to me seven minutes ago. Cause I'm still going through this stuff, you know? Yeah, of course you have to, in order to be the best guide slash coach, right? Yeah, for sure. Be, yeah, for sure. In the, in the trenches. Yeah, it's the answer to your question. You know, it, it it's absolutely people who have struggled for periods of time, who have tried it a number of ways, uh, and who have realized that you know it's not working their way. You know, and I, I have a I have a coach. I was just talking to another friend of mine on my podcast um, earlier today, and he sort of was saying how he challenges his clients, you know, to to about the way they think and. You know, I have a coach that always would ask me after I'd go on my whole spiel, this isn't working, this is working, I'm not, and the, blah, 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 you know, and he would sort of just sit back patiently and wait for me to stop rambling. And he would say, how is that working out for you? And, <laughs> yeah. You know, and finally I was just like, no. how about some personal responsibility here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, you know, ultimately I think everyone that comes to me and a lot of men in general and a lot of people in general they do, you know, another financial, I love financial concepts because that's my brain works in basketball terms and, and financial concepts. And so compound interest is big for me. The notion of inflation is big for me. Auditing, auditing is a big concept that I love. And it's a foundational part of my coaching and my program. Um, we don't audit, we don't stop and take stock of what's going on in our life. Companies, if you're a public company, you're reporting numbers quarterly. I used to trade distressed and uh, bankrupt companies. 
those companies have to have to report monthly to their creditors. They have a monthly operating report. So like sales teams meet weekly. I was part of a, of a daily morning research meeting. I, I'm still a notebook guy. I would take my notebook and I'd go to the morning meeting and I would write, we, we would talk about it as a team. The traders would talk, the sales guys would talk, the research analysts would talk, everyone moving towards one common goal. What's working, what's not working. Individuals don't do that. We sort of proverbially throw shit up against the wall every morning or every Monday or on the weekends or on January 1st or whatever, and we hope something's going to stick. Instead of, you know, the analogy I use a lot of times, we all get in the car and put the GPS on. Waze is, is popular here, right? And so I get in the car, I put, I put where I want to go into the GPS. It tells me the route to take. It needs to know two things, Right in order to know the best way to get there. It needs to know the destination and it knows where I'm starting from because of where the phone is or whatever. Yeah. What we forget about as human beings is we don't ever consider where we're starting from. We say, you know, I want Trevor's business. I want to look like Brian. I want to do this. And then we just start to do stuff. And some of those things are good habits. They might be good things to implement into our life, but are they all really tailored and specific and the best things for you to be doing. Because inevitably what happens is, as Mike Tyson says, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And exactly. <laughs> how many times have we gotten punched in the face in this calendar year alone? You know? And so in, a, in order for the, the GPS analogy, in order for, for this whole thing to work, you have to understand where you're starting from. And I don't think enough people stop and take stock of where am I right now? Like, how bad is it? You know, we don't always want to acknowledge it. How bad is it? You know, instead of going to the gym seven days a week when I'm going zero, could I take a 20 minute walk every day for the next week? You know, could I drink water every morning? Could I add like a vegetable to each meal? Could I swap one meal out instead of doing a juice cleanse for seven days? You know, could I just upgrade one meal? You know, could I go to bed a half hour earlier and wake up a half hour earlier instead of like overhauling this, you know, and, and instituting this crazy morning routine that you ditch four days in. And so we don't ever really consider where we're at. And then along the way, we don't take, we don't stop and go, okay, how's this working out for you? <laughs> and, and, and go, okay, what's working? Should we do more of that? What's not working? Is it the plan? Is it my expectations? Is it my compliance? Is it my motivation? Things like that. And then, you know, that's part of that audit process in between. That's kind of, you know, to stick with this little GPS thing I got going on, you know, you get in the car, it tells you to go straight for a mile and then make a right. You make a left at that, at that intersection the GPS doesn't go, Trevor, you are an idiot. What is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. Go home, quit, turn the car around. The trip is over. It doesn't do that, right? And I'm being dramatic. It doesn't do that. It, 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 re it reroutes. It says, okay, and it might take you a little longer to get there, but it reroutes. And what do we do as human beings? We go, you're an idiot. You go home. You know, we proverbially go home. And so you know, the, the audit process for us as human beings, I think, is a critical one in anything that we're trying to do. And especially when we're trying to improve, you know, maybe our health, our fitness, our relationships with our wives, our partners, kids, reducing vices, all those sorts of things.
Yeah, and all these things are tied together as well, aren't they? I know that's been my experience. Is I'm actually looking at a graphic on the screen right now that that I I created that kind of speaks to these bubbles of of what we get to be responsible for in our lives, right? Whether it's your your intellect, your emotional intelligence, your physical health, your parenting, your relationship, your business, your influence, all of these things. Independently, it's like, whoa, where do I even start? But I think the message I'm hearing from you, which I 100% agree with, is like, well, just just start. Like, just take a step, number one. <laughs> take a step, right? The momentum is what will actually keep you going forward. And then the other piece of that that really stands out is, you know, you talked about the people that you used to spend most of your time with when you were an athlete and a, you know, young college athletes and spending time with all your buddies that were all doing the same thing. I can relate to the same story as well. I, I was a hockey player and had the same kind of scenario and it was actually almost felt like a death when that part of my life ended. And I had to go and find my next, my next tribe, my next community, whatever it was. And you know, the, the analogy of the, you are the equivalent or the average of the five people you, you spend the most time with. Like, it's so true, man. But the thing is, is that we, a lot of times I think people feel like they're victim to it. Well, whoever's around me, I guess. And this is where technology is so incredible now, because how many of your clients do you actually work with face-to-face now versus virtually? Three out of 20. Yeah, three out of 20. Three out of 20, right? So there's lots of ways to look at tech. And we'll get into this too, as it relates to even parenting as well too. But like, I I find people want to vilify the technology sometimes too, when actually like, some of the most incredible people, including you, that I've met, I've never actually met. We're just connecting here and we have similar value systems. We have similar beliefs, but we each have a different path to try and get here. And I just think about um, like Tyler as an example. You know, he is somebody that I knew from 20 years ago from the hockey world, right? And we actually talked about this last time. It's like, remember those days? It's like, yeah, we were different people back then. And he had expressed to me, and I don't want to share his whole story, so I'll keep it somewhat confidential, but I know he's expressed to me that, you know, he has a desire to live in a beautiful tropical location and and um, live his best life, right? And he's in a job, and I know he's in the financial industry, and there are certain things that he feels a little tied to with that. So, all right, maybe it's a five-year plan. What are the steps to actually getting there? And you alluded to this in what you were just talking about, which is, Well, first of all, you surround yourself with people and ideally even a coach that says, what's the vision here? You know, what's the side hustle? How much are you working on it every day? Don't beat yourself up if you didn't have time. You're busy. You got a job. You got, you got to be attentive and present with your wife. You got to be around your kids, but just start. Like this world is incredibly filled with opportunity right now, isn't it? You just got to move. Yeah. I mean, look, it's the, the technology, I think, you, you know, you can talk about it in, in, in both contexts, right? Like, um, never have we been more connected as a society, as a, as a, as a, as a human race. Um, now some of those, and a lot of those connections tend to be superficial, um, and not very deep. And so I think, you know, the magic can happen is when, you know, you find these relationships, you get introduced to these different people, and then you're able to take those relationships and go a little bit deeper. Um, but you can upgrade your five people very quickly. And you don't even have to be, you know, the beauty of it is you don't even have to be like physically friends with them. Like they don't even have to know who you are 
for them to influence you. Somebody could listen to your podcast habitually and take away all the great information from it. And you could be one of their five closest friends because you're influencing them, you know, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. I tell people all the time, you are an influencer. It doesn't matter what your audience is. You know, I have a relatively small audience as far as social presence goes. Now I have a much bigger audience than a lot of people that I know, but I know, and you know, a lot of people whose audiences absolutely dwarf both yours and mine. Right. And so, but on a micro level, I have people who I influence. I, I have so much feedback now to know this, but I, but I knew it intuitively before I even got it all. If you're a parent, you're the ultimate influencer. Yeah. Right? The ultimate influencer. The little ones. I have two kids on a daily basis that are watching every move that I make. And the, the, the you know, you, you mentioned earlier, you made a comment about leading by example. Um, I believe there's a lot of different ways to lead, right? I've been everything from um, the rookie, the assistant on the trading desk, all the way to one of the, one of the senior guys running the desk. I've been the freshman on the team, get filling the water bottles, right? To the captain on the team. So I understand all different aspects of uh, roles within a team or an organization. Um, when I was the leader, when I was the captain, you know, I certainly knew when to uh, get into somebody and motivate them verbally. And I certainly wasn't like this completely flat, vanilla, you know, monotone guy. But I didn't lead with my voice. I led by my example. I led by showing up. I led by the work that I put in, you know, and I live my life that way now. Um, very much. So I am, I mentioned earlier that, you know, misalignment of actions and words. I mean, that, that, that concept, that process haunted me for a long time Mm. for a while. I didn't know I was even doing it. I didn't know what I didn't know. And then when it was sort of brought to my attention, um, then I still wasn't doing it at periods of time. And then it ate me alive, you know? Um, and so that's a big thing for me now is making sure that if I'm going to say that I'm going to do something, if I'm going to make a commitment, it happens. And now look, life does get in the way of things sometimes, but I don't, I don't, I make sure that I don't say some dumb, some dumb shit. Like, you know, I'm not going to have a, I'm not going to drink for the next month. Now I've gone a month, plenty of times without having alcohol, but I don't just say I'm not drinking for the month. I'm not drinking. I'm doing, you know, a big thing on wall street is dry January, you know, Every schmuck in, in December who's absolutely abused their liver from, from Thanksgiving until Christmas, at some point before, uh, before December 31st says, I think I might do dry January. And by the <laughs> second weekend of January, they're drinking again. You know? And so I'm very careful with my words. Um, I certainly think a lot, of, a lot of dumb stuff. But before I'm ready to commit to it and put pen on paper, uh, and actually do it. I make sure like, is this something that I want to do? Does it fit my goals? Right. Um, can I stay committed to it? You know, a, a friend of mine, I was just talking, he's a coach, he's a health coach and he create his big thing is don't create the plan for the most motivated version of yourself, create the plan for the least motivated version of yourself, because that's basically 90% of the time, right? Create the plan for Thursday night after a long day of work, when someone hits you up and says, want to go grab happy hour, you know, 
Create the plan for Friday after work. Create the plan for Saturday and Sunday, not for Monday morning. Monday and Tuesday, we all got down. Nobody needs help. With, if you need help on Monday and Tuesday, you need a lot of help, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, and that's why I think these conversations matter too, you know, like everything that we're speaking about here, maybe, I uh, shouldn't even say maybe, like somebody else has talked about this before. Of course they have, but I've received the feedback loop myself too. and and, and and believed in what I was actually showing up and doing for myself, knowing that maybe it was just my mom that was listening to the podcast when it first launched, but I stayed consistent with it. And I did it for me first, knowing that if I can create the greatest version of myself, be that every single day, be kind to myself when I'm not, I create a blueprint for my kids. And now there's a consistency that actually ripples out and call it a vibration or whatever you want, but it comes back. Like it literally bounces back at you. And then you start getting the, the, uh, that feedback loop and it's addictive. That's, that's another one of the things we're talking about the addiction, you know, like you, so maybe we were addicted to the substances and the working out and everything else before, but it's just a, a flip of that glass almost, you know? And I want to pick up on what you said about like the inf the inflation conversation, especially as it relates to health, knowing that the choices that we make now, we might not see a dramatic change in our degrading of our body, but in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, we might, and that's going to hurt our pocketbook and our physical well-being, our ability to like engage with people that we love. And it kind of transitioned us into another piece of this conversation I wanted to have with you, which is we don't talk about that enough, do we, in today's society? Like everything is so fear-based and, and talking about preventative or rather reactive medicine as opposed to preventative. And it just got me thinking about the analogy we were using before of would 25-year-old you be listening? Would healthy version of you be listening to say, you need to take care of your body right now so that you're not in a compromised position with these um, comorbidities? that might actually hurt you. And naturally you kind of know the conversation, the, the dance that I'm doing here around this big old elephant in the room, which is the whole COVID situation as well and how we're trying to navigate all this stuff. But what's your position on that? Like how, how do you speak about that? Knowing that sometimes people just won't hear it. They don't want to. Yeah. I mean, people are going to hear what they want to hear. You know, the one, I think the, the silver lining and ultimately, hopefully, um, the epic shift that occurs in our society, both in, in my country and in yours, is that people begin to value their um, metabolic health, their underlying health uh, more, and start to understand that it's within their control. You, know, you mentioned personal responsibility before. Um, another thing that I am absolutely like obsessed with is personal responsibility. What are you doing? What actions are you taking to do the things to contribute to whatever it is that you say, you know, you want, I want, everyone else thinks that they should have, right? And, um, you know, I think it's become very obvious, uh, given the mountains of data that is now available, that um, your actions, your daily actions accumulate over time, uh, that presents, presents you a body of evidence uh, that you carry around on a daily basis. And, um, you know, we've seen that you know, the healthier you are conceivably, uh, the bigger yawn this thing is for many of us. Now, uh, I'll certainly, 
uh, caveat this with, I'm sure that some healthy people have had difficult times and maybe even have passed away. Um, I'll also tell you that um, we have ha- been directly impacted by COVID. My, my father-in-law, my, my, my wife's dad passed away from COVID. He was also uh, 87. Uh, he also had heart disease. He also had diabetes and he was also, you know, not morbidly, but he was also obese. Um, and so, you know, um, I've had COVID twice. Uh, it's been, I mean, let, I, you know, I, again, I don't want to, I don't want to minimize this and turn this into like COVID's, you know, bullshit and it's no big deal. Um, but you know, I've had worse hangovers. Um, I've had worse bouts with New York city street meat. Okay. Um, <laughs> both, both of my kids had COVID and, and yeah. they, they, they threw up for, uh, four or five hours and, and then they were, you know, playing around the house because they couldn't go anywhere else for, you know, five days or so. And so, you know, I hope the silver lining uh, around this is that people realize that, you know, your health is your responsibility and nobody else's. Nobody is coming to save you. You know, our system, our medical system, and I'm, you know, I'm going to assume that yours is, is similar. I don't know the ins and outs of the Canadian medical system, but it's an acute care system and it's an incredible acute care system. Don't, don't get me wrong. If I have a medical emergency, I am not going to make a smoothie with spinach and kale, okay? I'm going to the damn hospital and I'm going to seek medical attention, okay? Um, The problem becomes is that we only typically try to treat the symptom that we see right in front of us at the time. And so we give our, you know, we're given a pill, we're given a drug. Um, Then sometimes we're given another drug to cover up the symptoms or the side effects of the drug that's stopping the other thing. And then you find my dad is 74, um, heart disease patient, multiple heart surgeries, love him to death, greatest man I know, dude takes 25 pills a day, okay? Um, And so, you know, like, I don't want to live my life that way. I don't want to live my life taking 25 pills a day. You know, I was just talking to a friend. His dad was, is, is still super fit. And so, like, he even describes, like, you know, we get into this, like, you know, fathers thinks, think it's selfish to go take time away from their family when they only have a little bit of time to go focus on themselves. And, you know, we say that's selfless, and it is. But he's, his point is, like, what a selfless act for 30 years that his dad undertook because my friend Sam now knows that he doesn't have to take care of his parents for the next 30 years. His dad was helping him move out of New York, out of a fourth floor, New York city walk up, moving a couch a couple of months ago, you know? So like to, to bring it back to my father, um, my dad doesn't move around very well. I had to, you know, fly home from California to New Jersey with my dad because he couldn't really go by himself. It's kind of a big deal for him to travel on his own. And like, I mean, he's not, you know, 24 anymore, but yo, at 74, I plan to be shooting jump shots with my grandson. I plan to be going on walks. I plan to be like moving around. I plan to be enjoying my life. I don't ever, you know, I say all the time, you know, I'm not the athlete that I once was, but I'm always going to be an athlete. You know, it's relative value is a big thing in trading. Like, what does this cost versus this? What's this, you know, what's this valuation versus this? And so at 74, I'm certainly not going to be, you know, running up and down a court, maybe, um, you know, dunking on anybody, but my jumper is still going to look pretty darn good. Still and, be on, still be on the court. That's right. 
Give me a yeah. Bud Light, Grant. Go get me a go get me a cold beer out of the out of the fridge, grandson. <laughs> I'm gonna sit here. I'm gonna make another ten foul shots in a row. Yeah. Um, and so I don't even know what the hell we started talking about. Oh, personal <laughs> responsibility and COVID. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> about beer and I'm gone, bro. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I just you know look. I think like if you're not taking care of your health, you are you you do not have sovereignty in this world anymore. You are subject to somebody else imposing. Um, a mandate or a rule or a, or a in air quotes law uh, uh, on you, and you may have to follow it because you may not have any other choice. You know, as much as like I think there should be choice in all things that are related to our bodies, I actually think that you know, for most people, taking a vaccine is a good idea because we're a sick, fat, and near dead society, and so. For a healthy guy, for a young kid, for a healthy, you know, for a healthy individual, it's probably your choice. You do what you want to do. Most people have been kind of forced into this decision, not because someone is physically forcing them, but because they're not healthy and it's, you know, they get scared into doing something. And so like, it's your responsibility. It's your body. You only get one, you know, you can't trade it in. It's not a car lease. You know, you can't upgrade your body it's one you get one you get one shot at life one shot and i don't know why you know you wouldn't take the best care of the vessel that you're kind of traversing life through my son and his baseball team i ask them all the time you know what's your favorite car we get like lamborghini porsche bugatti ferrari blah blah you know if you had that lamborghini you know what kind of gas would you put it in you know how often would you get it cleaned and detailed you know, would you park it next to like 50 other cars or would you take care of it over here? You know, what level of attention, quality care would you give it? And every one of them goes the highest, the best. Well, you have a Ferrari, it's your body, you know, and what are you doing to take care of your Ferrari on a daily basis? Love that, man. And I think the, you know, the story, the way that you were telling it as a story, even too, with the future visioning of what that life will look like with your grandkids I think is a, is a powerful piece as well. Just visualization and even shorter term goals. Like I know I'm working within a program right now myself too, where I was challenged to say like, what's your why? What's your purpose for this? Like, why are we doing this? We need something big and grand. And my answer was we're moving our family to Costa Rica for a number of different reasons. The beach, the weather, get out of Canada. I'll say that out loud on my own podcast. Quite frankly, it's concerning to me what's going on up here, education wise, health wise, everything else. But, and I know that if I was to hop on a surfboard right now and think back to what it was like when I was in North shore Hawaii seven years ago and surfed every single day for a month that I couldn't even freaking paddle out past the break, man. Like I would freaking die. Those so are legit like, waves there though. <laughs> yeah. Those are legit waves. Yeah. But even still, even small waves, like I just don't like, I, I just knew that like, okay, well, there's a short term goal because then that was actually what the coaches that I'm working with were saying to me. They're like, well, that's a good short term goal. Like push for that. Absolutely. But like, you need a bigger why, man. Like what's the bigger why? What is it? Is it commi- constant commitment to be the greatest version of yourself when nobody else is looking, knowing that you are that example and your kids are going to see you when you sneak in this and you don't do that. And it's like, yeah, that's what it is. And then. You know, I just stick it up around the house. Like it's just little tiny things that a person can even do to, to just ground yourself in that. And, and then remember that, you know, 
I enjoy a beer like the next person too. And it's not a problem drinking thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. You can still enjoy the good beers every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I, I, I talk a lot about, um, you know, these forks in the road that we come to. And, and a friend of mine has a, a great saying, like, you know, who do you want to be? That, this question, who do you want to be? And again, I go back to this, like, you know, Sunday, Sunday night, Monday morning version of yourself. Who do you want to be? Yeah, of course. We all have these like grand plans for our week. December 31st, who do you want to be in 2022? You get very inspirational things. But, you know, you have to ask yourself that question on January 6th at 2 p.m. You have to ask yourself that question after your third vodka on a Friday night in February and you told yourself you're only having three, you know? You have to ask yourself that question at 10 p.m. when you find yourself in the pantry and nobody else is around and the chips and the snacks and whatever are there and no one's going to know. Nobody is going to know. We are master negotiators with ourselves. We can talk ourselves into anything. I love that you said the notes. You know, I'm a big post-it note guy. I have a whiteboard that's right here to my right. Um, You know, I, I love putting information up. There's another whiteboard over there. Like my wife would... Like finally at our house in New Jersey, she's like, this is a, a beautiful 4,000 square foot home. It's pretty brand new. You have to stop putting post-it notes all over it, please. It's all right. The bachelor so, days are done. There'll be notes, there'll be notes so everywhere. Just get fancier. So then you just get whiteboards. Just get whiteboards, rid of sticky yeah, exactly. notes and get whiteboards. Yeah, That's right. And so, you know, like my dream is to just have like blackboards and whiteboards everywhere all over the house. Cause like I walk around and like, all, like, Oh, I got an idea here. Let me, let me, let me, let me write it down. And so, you know, uh, I think I'm a big pattern interruption guy. And so I'm snapping my fingers right now. The more you can sort of shake yourself out of this talk that everyone's going to have with themselves, you know, you have to sort of beat back the inner, you know, bitch voice that we all have. And all of us have it. It's just, we have it at various different degrees and we have it at different, you know, frequencies, um, in terms of how many times it shows up. And so the more you get good at pushing back, the more you create a body of evidence that you're somebody who does that. And then it becomes your identity. And that is the most permanent way to change your life for the better is develop identity-based habits to be somebody who just does these things, right? You can pick me up out of my little bubble here in Palos Verdes, California, and drop me anywhere, okay? Anywhere. Now, I might not have all the resources, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to look for where can I get real food? Where can I get healthy food? Can I get to the grocery store? If I'm in a hotel, can I book a hotel that has a small kitchen? At least it's going to have a refrigerator. Cool. Does it have a gym? Okay, if it doesn't have a gym, uh, did I drive there? Could I bring my dumbbells with me? Um, what's my schedule look like? When am I going to get a couple of walks in? You know, Identity-based habits are I take a walk for 10 minutes after every meal. So it doesn't matter. Like I don't take a walk at 8.30 in the morning. I take a 10-minute walk after the meal. So if I eat at 7, I take a 10-minute walk at 7.15. I take a 10-minute walk at 1.05 when my lunch is done. Whatever. Having these habits that are identity-based. So... You can pick me up and put me anywhere. I am going to find a way to be healthier than normal. It may not be the perfect set of circumstances, but I'm going to look for those things because it's who I am. And the more we can develop those types of things in all aspects of our lives, I think the more permanent our behavior change becomes. Yeah. I had a chat with uh, 
a guy who's living in Costa Rica right now. We were talking about those habit creations and I referenced back to, I think it was like 2004 when I went on my first all-inclusive vacation in Mexico. <laughs> and man, I just remember those and you know, you needed a vacation from the vacation because it was literally just like no sleep and drinking and eating crap food all day. And I thought, if I operated like that right now and I was about to move to Costa Rica, like not a vacation, like we're moving there with no intent on coming back anytime soon. I would die, man. Like I would not, I would not be able to survive. And a lot of people operate like that in their everyday life. It's just kind of like binge here and then pull it back and the highs and the lows and everything in between. But the other piece of this too, that's, I wanted to just touch on. And I think it kind of ties into everything that we're saying, because I actually found a couple of articles right before you and I hopped on here. They're both on the Atlantic.com. I can send them over to you actually, but one's called red parent, blue parent. That's talking about, it's using the reference of like democratic and Republican parents and how you have differing views. And now how that's like translating into the situation of you've got kids and should they have masks? Do they need a vaccine? What all of those things and the challenge that it's creating in society uh, from a household level. And then the other articles called COVID parenting has passed the point of absurdity saying that it was always un unsustainable and now it's simply impossible. And I want to challenge those things, but I also want to address the reality of it. Cause this is one of the things that I think I really picked up on with you when Tyler said like, you should meet this guy. I went to your Instagram and I saw you did a video that at first seemed like a very serious video and you were referencing the fact everybody, there's this big announcement out 17 million. I forget the number. It was like 17 million children are alive today. And I, it didn't hit me right away. And I was like, is he taking a piss out here? I think he is a little bit. And then I caught it and I was like, Oh, that's, that's good shit. Because to me, that's just flipping the land. It's one eightying the conversation. It's not saying that, all this other stuff doesn't exist. Like you already alluded to on this interview. It's rather like, what are we paying attention to? Are we talking about the right things? Are we, are we thinking about the byproducts of what the mass situation is doing in the schooling systems? And as far as you want to take that, I'd love to get your thoughts. Cause I know we haven't talked for like three weeks or so, but like, what are things like down there? I know it's different than here, but California, a lot of times is very similar to Canada in many ways with their policies and stuff. So what's going on, man? Give me the update. Yeah. So, so the, the, the reference, the, the post, the, my, my, the concept is like, everything is fear-based and there are things that we don't have to be that fearful about, in my opinion. And one of those things is that if you are a healthy young child, you don't have anything to fear. Um, and going back to, you know, this inflation concept or economics concept, another concept of economics is nothing is free. There ain't the, the first thing I learned in economics 101 freshman year in college, there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. Yeah. And we have, this is my opinion, this is my opinion, but it also is supported by a lot of data. Um, we have applied massive social policies, primarily on our kids that, um, we appear, we, it has been marketed and positioned as well. It's to keep them safe. Okay. Um, and almost like there's, there's, it's no big deal. It's no, it's no, it's no cost to this. Like nobody dies if this happens. And I'm of the opinion that 
that is unbelievably inaccurate, incorrect, and we will likely look back on this, sadly, after it's long too late, years from now. There's already enough data to, to see that, but years from now, and go, wow, this was one of the greatest crimes against uh, a generation of people that we could have ever you know, committed as a society. And all we're talking about is the risk that kids are under and they might die and hospitals are overwhelmed and pediatric, you know, uh, hospital hospitalizations are skyrocketing. No one's talking about the millions and millions and millions and millions of kids who have been relatively unaffected by this and who are alive. And we're not talking about some of the policies that we have instituted and what that impact could have on all the healthy kids that have been forced to live with them for the last two years. And so, you know, the, the post that you're referring to is just, you know, is my attempt to just remind parents that most likely, like 99.9 something percent likely, your kid is very much okay and going to be okay. And so it's not to take away from the small number of children that have un unfortunately passed away, but we are moving mountains and effectively um, uh, impacting millions and millions and millions of kids in a negative way through increased anxiety, depression, obesity, suicide, learning loss, um, uh, not, not just learning loss, but you know, there's tons of speech delays. There's tons of you know, uh, uh, educational issues that kids are going through now uh, to protect a very small number of people. Uh, and it's a difficult equation to wrap your head around and go, which one's better? You know, but my point is, is that we're only talking about one side of the equation. And I would like the other side of the equation to get a little bit of attention. Uh, how it's going in California? Well, it's California. Um, you know, <laughs> it's slowly moving to uh, what uh, most of the world uh, seems to be, most at least of the country uh, in the United States uh, seems to be. We are now, um, you know, uh, a county by county kind of ruling type of uh, environment, but overall from a state level, uh, masks are optional indoors. LA has slowly moved to, um, if you can prove that you're vaccinated, you're allowed to take your mask off inside, um, which is kind of strange. Uh, it's like you go to a restaurant and you can uh, not wear your mask at the front door if you're vaccinated, but if you are, you have to wear your mask, but when you sit down, you can't catch COVID while you're eating. But then all the service staff is at super high risk, so they have to wear their mask. Schools are still all uh, in mass. Our kids are all in mass eight hours a day. Uh, in L.A. County, they were in mass outdoors uh, from January up until uh, right after the Super Bowl. Uh, parents absolutely lost their minds. Um, Los Angeles County hosted millions of people uh, for parties for two weeks. Uh, but our kids were in school, indoors and outdoors with masks on, while our governor, while our mayor, and while local celebrities all hung out, you know, without masks. And so I had a buddy uh, tell me the other day, because I didn't dig too deep into this, but he referenced it this way. He said the mayor of Los Angeles took a selfie photo with the most immunocompromised most popular person on the planet, Magic yeah, Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember him saying that and I was like, 
oh shit, yeah, like that's uh, that's about as big of a headline as you could put on the, on the news. But there hasn't been a lot of attention given to it. That that one got some, but then it kind of just went away again. You know, I and again, I think it just speaks to why conversations like this and and you know these small little independent podcasts or a uh, a social post that's actually changing the narrative to a more positive conversation or at least uh, giving some light to the other side of the conversation, even if people don't want to look yet, because there's definitely a, a mistrust that's happening with the mainstream media now because people aren't stupid. Like they see, they see what they see. And then when they get the news reporting saying the opposite, they're like, am I crazy? Am I getting gaslit right now? Like what's going on? I don't understand it. That's what I'm feeling anyways. And I don't know if, if your media is like that down there, but that's what it's like in Canada right now. Yeah. There's a focus on, you know, um, a very narrow set of, uh, acceptable ways out of this. And it's, it's medicine based, it's vaccines, it's mass, it's distancing, Jesus Christ, they're still telling people to wash their hands. Like they haven't up, like they haven't like looked at any updated science. Like I get it month, March of 2020, wash your hands. But now like really wash your hands. Um, you know, and, and I look at it from the perspective of like, if this was a sports team, right. If this was a hockey team in Canada. If this was uh, a public company that had to report, that had to report to its shareholders and you ran the same play, for two straight years and lost every damn game. Or if you kept losing money, if you ran your company into the ground and you weren't the sole owner of it, there were other owners, your ass would be gone. You'd be fired. The manager would be fired. The general manager would be fired. The players would be traded, let go, free agency, moved on, rebuilt. This would be a rebuilding situation. And we keep doing the same thing over and over and over again and are expected to not question it and are expected to accept it. And when we do think logically, AKA conspiracy theories and misinformation, um, we're like you said, gaslit. We're looked at like, we don't care about people dying. Like now, you know, the conversation, because they can't hold on to anything else around kids and their risk. The conversation is now, well, the kid might have an immune compromised grandma at home. So now if you're in favor of mask choice at schools, you're now a grandma killer. You're now in favor of killing grandmas. And so it's like, at what point are we going to get logical about this and actually be honest about, you know, is what we're doing working and take an honest look at it? Simple question. Has it worked? Has it worked? Simple questions and very, very deep, deep uh you know, tunnels that we can go down that are all interconnected from how politics actually works to what influences decisions, how much uh, influence money has on that and corporations. I know I'm just looking at another thing here too, which we probably won't have much time to dig into the details on, but just the whole idea of like laws being passed that are dictating what teachers need to be teaching kids in school around gen gender identity and proper use of pronouns and uh, can you speak about race relations in school and teachers pushing back saying like, we're here to teach these kids how to think, not what to think. And then government saying, no, 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 you're here to tell them this is what you can and cannot teach. That shit scares the shit out of me, man. And that's the part, part of the reason why 
we're like, we're not leaving Canada to try and escape that. That exists everywhere too. But when your government starts to dictate some of those things through policy, it's pretty scary shit, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I have a slightly kind of not so upset opinion about that because I do believe that I am and my wife are our kids' greatest teachers. And my son is not going to grow up to be somebody that thinks very narrow-minded um, or has beliefs that is taught to him in school and without any other critical thought that is guided by me. My son can think and believe whatever he wants to believe. I am absolutely going to have an influence on him uh, in that matter. And so we talk openly about stuff. And I make sure, and look, he's only 12, my daughter's seven. Some of these conversations are not, you know, it's not time for some of them yet. But I know with a, with certainty, you know, even all the COVID stuff, I, I ask him, I don't tell him I have an opinion. This is how it should be. I ask him questions, you know, and I, and I guide him down the road and I ask him, what do you think? Does this make sense to you? You know? And so, and you get pretty honest answers when you ask a 12 year old, you know, does this make sense? What do you think about this? They'll tell you, they'll tell you, the kids are not really bashful. You know, you want to tell, I tell my guys all the time, you want real accountability in person, real time, tell your kids, you're going to do something. They don't give a damn about your feelings. You know, you know, you're not supposed to be in the, in the, in the pantry at 9 PM after dinner, your kids are going to tell you, you know, daddy, you look fat, get out of the pantry. <laughs> um, so, you know, the honesty. Yeah, absolutely. Raw honesty. Um, and so they can think, they can think for themselves, but you need to be there to guide them. And so I'm not as worried about that stuff, although I probably should be, maybe I'm being a little naive, but I'm also kind of picking what and how much I can handle from, <laughs> from an overload standpoint as a parent. And I'm, you know, I'm probably talking to somebody else who's in an environment that is bananas, but you know, Los Angeles County, California is probably about as bananas as you can be anywhere else, anywhere in the world right now, you know? Yeah, for sure. No, but I'm glad you brought up that point and it just kind of ties everything all to the, the same message here too, which is even when you're coaching the men that you're working with, of course you can tell them what to do. But if you ask them the question of, is that what you really want? That, that lands, especially because the, then the answer comes from you. And if you say, yeah, it is, then you're like, cool, keep doing that shit then. You want to be dead when you're 50 from alcoholism? Keep drinking. Personal responsibility is the key to the kingdom in most people's lives, right? You want your kids to start eating broccoli and you don't have any broccoli on your plate? Good luck. You know, you want them to do that. You want them to drink more water and you're sitting there pounding, you know, Pepsis or beers or whatever. Good luck, man. Good luck. Good luck getting somebody to do something you're not willing to. So that's why, like, I'm very big on, like, you know, there was this whole, like, catchphrase, we're all in this together, you know, right? Like, and... Are we, are we all in this together? If we are, do your part, you know, get healthy. The data is clear. Do your part. What are you doing to contribute to our society right now? If you're sitting at home, you know, like judging somebody else because you went and got, you know, three jabs in your arm and you're not doing anything to get healthier on a daily basis. I don't want to hear from you. If you went and got three jabs and you're doing all you can do, you can talk to me. You can talk to me. Love that feel like we should just drop the mic there and end this interview, man. But I got, I got one more question for you here. I usually have a whole bunch that I go through at the end, but I just want to be respectful of your time here. But there's one in particular that I like to ask every single guest, which is what is the one thing that you're most grateful for in your life right now? Mm. Um, um, oh, that's a great question. Um, I wish you would have told me, I would have thought about it. <laughs> I'm it's great meant to be impulsive. What comes to mind? 
hear you, man. The first thing that came to mind is I'm grateful, you know, taking you back to that moment seven years ago. Um, listen, to, to say that I'm grateful for my mom passing away, I mean, that's a weird thing to say, and I'm not. And I would give a lot back to have my mom back. Um, but I'm not, I've asked myself, I'm not sure how fast that would have changed. I'm not sure what would have happened. Um, and so I'm grateful for my wife, you know, coming to me in that moment. And she also could have said, I'm out. She didn't have to say, I'm almost out. She could have said, I'm out because she gave it a lot of thought. So I'm grateful for, you know, that period of my life being the catalyst for me to become the per- and when I say become, I mean become today because tomorrow I'm chasing another version of myself. But to become the person that I am today, I am not at the finish line. There is not a destination here, but I am now on a path. And look, do I have days where I'm not exactly chasing it? Yes. But am I chasing after being, you know, being somebody better than I am yesterday on most days? 100%. So uh, I'm pretty grateful for that period of my life because I know that it's going to um, have a mushroom effect. It already has. Um, you change me, I change my, my relationship with my wife. We change our kids. I change my clients. I change people who pay attention to me. Um, maybe we impact one person that listens to this, you know, this, this conversation. Um, the mushroom effect is, is real. Uh, it's ex- exponential and it's really, really powerful. I love that answer, man. And it's interesting when you don't have the questions sent to you in advance and whatever comes to mind comes to mind. I, was, I appreciate you just saying exactly what did come to mind because I'm sure you can relate. Like even for me, I, I've gone through heartaches. I've gone through losses. I've had deaths in the family, grandparents. Um, my wife and I lost two kids. And in the moment, devastating. Worst thing ever. Never would have wanted it to happen. But what a blessing though. It was just a way how I looked at it, you know? There were so many things to come from that. Like, I would not be the person I am here today if not for those experiences. In the moment, sucks. There's a grieving period you got to go through and everything else. But when you can look back on those moments, I refer to them as like turning your mess into your message. That's when you can actually really create impact and support other people too. So I'm glad you shared that, man. That's, That's pretty powerful stuff. So how can people find out more about you, connect with you? understand exactly how you do work with men that you support. Yeah. The best place to go is, um, the success Um, and from there you can find out more about me. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn and uh, Instagram as my name, Brian Panuzo, P A N N U Z Z O. And I have a podcast called the success lift podcast, which I'm excited to have a conversation, uh, next week with you on buddy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it as well. So I'll make sure to link all that up and I appreciate the conversation, man. It was a honest, vulnerable conversation, lots of good takeaways, and I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people. So thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate you having me on, man. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Trevor Turnbull show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please consider subscribing on my YouTube channel and on your favorite podcast platform and leave me a review. I'd love to hear from you. Now, until next time, remember today is a beautiful day of opportunity. Trust that you're exactly where you're supposed to be right now. So be grateful, be curious, and be brave. 